You're listening to Inside the Outdoors, presented by People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association, where we discuss the latest market trends in outdoor recreation. And now, here are your hosts, Kelly Davis and Patrick Hogan. Hey everyone, welcome back for another episode of Inside the Outdoors. I'm your host, Patrick Hogan. In this episode, Kelly and I are joined by Reese Brown, the Executive Director of the Cross Country Ski Area Association. We discuss the state of cross-country skiing and the overall cross-country experience. How are weather extremes affecting the market? What are trail areas doing to engage new participants? Let's get into it. All right, so Reese, welcome to the welcome to the podcast. This is basically what it's like. Okay, give you the flame. <laughs> um, so in our in our last session, we were talking a lot about what's going on with e-biking. You know, the conflict between e-bike and other types of biking. Today, I want to talk with you about what's going on in cross-country skiing. And I mean, just full disclosure, in addition to being the director of research for the Outdoor Industry Association and the Outdoor Foundation, I'm also the director of research for the Cross-Country Skiers Association on a pro bono basis for Reese. And I've been doing that for a number of years. Um, it was sort of an extension of my work at Snow Sports and continue doing it. So um you know, some of these questions, Reese and I have worked together on answering, um, but I'm interested in what Reese has to say about sort of the state of cross-country skiing, especially post-pandemic. Yeah. Well, thank you, Kelly. I'm happy to be here. And uh, yeah, the state of cross-country skiing, I feel that um, we're in a really exciting time for cross-country. Um, COVID gave us a fresh face, if you will, um, really making cross-country cool again um, because it was something, it, it was really one of the perfect winter sports you could participate in during COVID. You know, those skis kept everybody six feet away. Um, there were very few, if any, choke points like a lift or parking lots or shuttle buses. Um, so really, it was the perfect opportunity to get outside, enjoy some fresh air, get a little exercise and stay safe. So that really set us off, I think, introducing a, a large number of new people to the sport, either for the first time or the first time again. And we've seen many of those people have stayed with it and they've added cross-country skiing to whatever else they do in the winter, be it uh, alpine skiing or snowboarding or fat biking, uh, and they continue to participate. Uh, we are seeing that they're participating at a slightly less frequent rate. Um, but we expected that. We we're just happy to have them still still with us. So um, it was a great boon for our um, our suppliers. They sold uh, a lot of equipment, and we've seen that number still, although it's dropped a bit, still stay well above the the pre COVID levels. So really, it's been uh, it's been great. And I think the best thing is there's a whole bunch of new people that are that are participating, and that's a great thing. They're outside the winter, and we couldn't ask for anything better than that. Yeah, I've heard and I've heard people talk about cross country skiing as something that they do when the downhill resort gets really crowded, which, you know, some some of the season pass dynamics mean that your resort's going to be super crowded on weekends. And if you've got mm -hmm. a season pass and maybe it's your home resort, you can go and ski maybe early or during the week, but you need you need refuge from from crowds like that. And I've heard a lot of people say that they're going cross country skiing. Um, to avoid heavy resort crowds in at lift serve down. Yeah, no, that's a really interesting point you bring up, Kelly, because we've seen it all for the you know pre-COVID for years when it was you know when the lifts were on a wind hold or it was super cold and they didn't really want to go cross country skiing. You'd see those alpine people showing up at the cross country center with all their gear on, 
that he knew they were going to sweat. Um, but now, you know, in addition to that, we're seeing, on, as you as you pointed out, on those busy weekends, your afternoon business will be as busy as your morning business because you're getting those people that are coming from Alpine and they're like, all right, I've, I've done my runs. My knees are good. I'm going to go, um, you know, do a couple of K's and get out in the woods and have a good time there. So we're definitely seeing that, that multi-sport person participating in multiple sports on a given day. So that's been a, uh, another great, great piece for us. It has, and it's been great for outdoor because one of the things we found out about cross-country skiers, whether, whether they're casual or core, is they're all outdoors all the time. I mean, 96% of them said that they hike, um, whether it's off-season or, or in-season sometimes. Um, and they're, they're heavily participating in biking and in several other sports, including things like pickleball, since we were talking about pickleball. Well, I think oh. I'm starting to think everybody's just doing pickleball, but this is this whole season of this podcast is just going to have a pickleball subtext running through it. <laughs> it's going to be a pickleball thread, which is which I'm thrilled about. It's it's an exciting activity. I, Kelly, I was going to ask what the like the top cross participation activities were, and it sounds like we're, we're hitting them right. You said hiking, cycling, yes, maybe some pickleball. Also, interestingly, road cycling. Specifically, okay. yeah. yeah, we're going to have to put pickleball on our on our list there to see to really get the data because it's only anecdotal at this point. But that would be interesting. Uh, but yeah, um, the you know looking at the surveys, the consumer surveys that we've done for the last couple of years have been incredibly consistent with the audience, stating you know right around ninety five percent of our audience hikes and um, uh, and walks. So really big numbers, and that number has shifted you know, barely a point over the last couple of years. So really interesting. And I think the other piece, as Kelly pointed out, uh, one of the questions we asked was, how do you, you know, how do you identify yourself? And there was a list of, you know, the multiple guesses there and outdoor everything scored very high. It wasn't the endorphin junkies. It wasn't the hardcore, um, you know, outdoor everything, meaning that they do participate in anything. And they're, you know, again, as a byproduct of COVID, people are getting outside to do whatever it might be, um, you know, which I think is, which I think is great. And we're seeing less of that hardcore, you know, that hardcore person, not less of, but we're seeing, I guess, more of the outdoor everything, the regular person. So they're overshadowing the not numbers of hardcores that used to be out there. Um, the other one that certainly a lot of people clicked on was uh, was doing with your pet. And, you know, you can't really alpine ski with your pet, but you can definitely cross-country ski with your pet, provided your ski area allows it, but many do. So, you know, yeah. the, the data has been fascinating, thanks to Kelly. Yeah, I've been I've been threatening my dogs with a good time <laughs> for quite a while. I figure with three of them, that's there's is there's horsepower. Is there dog power? I have three dogs. I have oh, three for sure. Power. Yeah. Well, you just you just timed yourself. I don't know. I'm, get the I'm definitely metal edging it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> if they're pulling, you better be metal edging. <laughs> right. Which brings me to my to my the next thing I want to talk about in terms of trends in snow sports that affects cross country and downhill, in fact, and is is being driven in part in part by the season pass paradigm that exists now in lift serve downhill. But we've seen a, a, a pretty big increase in the number of people who are skiing backcountry. And that includes uphill, downhill people that are that are basically skinning in, in typical AT setup with downhill uh, or with all mountain or some type of wide ski. But we're also seeing people actually touring in middle edge cross-country skis in much higher numbers. Can you talk about that a little bit? 
Sure. I think there's two things happening there. One is with this new customer coming in, many of them are not quite as comfortable on cross-country skis or on skis at all. And they've decided that cross-country is their entry point. So generally that that metal edge ski is a little wider, offering a little better platform, a little more stable for that person that uh, that isn't quite as skilled. So we're absolutely seeing people going out on metal edge skis in the tracks because they want that additional stability. And in their mind, you know, if they, especially if they come from Alpine, it's like, wait, no edges? I need an edge. What for? I don't know, but I need it. You know, it's that type of thing. Um, so they want that. But yeah, you know, it, the, the, you know, I say backcountry, but it, it maybe is not true backcountry, but the off-piste cross-country skiing that we're seeing at many ski areas now is really interesting. And several of them are doing some grooming or at least identifying areas that you can do that. So you can use a trail to perhaps get up, you know, to where you want, and then you come down, um, you know, kind of on an ungroomed type of surface. And we're also seeing it used for, you know, approaches to get into the back country for whatever you might be doing there. Um, it's a great way to, to, you know, slog in all your gear to your, your hut, and then you get on whatever it is that you're going to use. So um, we're definitely seeing that and that's been corroborated by the suppliers you know they're talking about that they're seeing those numbers increase and they're adjusting their offerings because of that so uh again it's a great you know it speaks to that new customer and it's great to see um people doing cross-country in many different ways and you know from the data we know that 40 percent of the market does not ski at a uh, at a formal ski area. They go out their backyard, they go in state parks, really? they go wherever yeah. it is that they go. It could be bar hopping when it snows in town, that sort of thing. But they're out there going other places. And so, um, again, really interesting to see that. And we love it because they're, again, outdoor everything. They're out there. How does that 40% compare across time? Is that is that consistent or is that grown? Um, as, as, you know, Kelly's brought up some of the overcrowding issues, maybe they're, that are happening at formal resorts that have, yeah, season passes and, and they're now being accepted at more resorts as some of these resorts, um, offerings are, are widening. That's a great question. And I don't actually know the answer. It's been roughly 40, 40% is the, the number that comes to mind over the last couple of years. I think it's been 38, 39, 40, 41, 42. Okay. So it's been in that range. Um, and I think probably you know, all of those numbers are within the margin of error, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Kelly, am I, am I correct there? Yeah, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right, Reese. And, and, you know, funny, I think that the things have changed a little bit for the casual skier. Um, even though, you know, if I, if I look just at the data, you know, if I just look at frequency of participation and the number of participants and the number by region, things like that, it's, you know, it's, it's not, it's not a fast shifting category. Which is super interesting to watch, and this is this is one of those things. But I think the experience for the casual cross country skier has has really gotten a, a little bit of a glow up in the past, say, decade, where the the trail systems are realizing that it's an experience. You know, it's it's something you you go out, and it's not just you know they've got to break the stereotype of it's just for uber athletes, spandex wearing. You know, the, these are the people that can run a hundred miles and then get on a bike and ride 200 miles and get off and, and, you know, go have dinner with you. That's They're thinking it's Uber athlete when it's not. And so they're, they're glowing up the experience for the casual skier that for instance, you know, a family could come and, you know, just have a fun day outside, nothing, nothing really, you know, adrenaline pumping or, 
it's just a fun time outside with the family. You come back in and you've got this beautiful dining experience or maybe even a beautiful lodging experience that's that sort of fits with the with what they're trying to what what the idea of cross country is, which is the outdoors, which is someone that appreciates those kinds of things. And it's it's you know, it's it's a it's a great experience. It's great for casual skiers. And I think we've seen that experience get a lot better. Um, and that's why I think those people are sticking around after the pandemic, because it's awesome. Yeah, you bring up a great point there, Kelly, and something as an industry that we've been pushing for, well, really pushing since pre-COVID is make it an experience. Don't be that guy who puts your boots on in the parking lot, bangs out 20Ks, takes your boots off in the parking lot and leave. Um, and so we've been working with our with our ski areas to provide that experience. And out west, there are several uh, several ski areas that have amazing lodging, like fine lodging, uh, amazing restaurants, significant wine lists, outdoor barbecues with marshmallows for the kids, outdoor um, uh, fireplaces, not barbecues, um, outdoor swimming pools. I mean, really top notch. There's another uh, location that has these cabins, and every single cabin is on a trail. And you have to, you basically have to walk to the cabin, not a far walk, but you can't drive to it because it's surrounded by snow and trails. And that's another amazing experience. And one of the ski areas near me, uh, it's so funny, the, the, um, the Nordic director is a chef. The, the building that they operate out of is a, uh, is a cross country, excuse me, it's a golf center in the winter. It has a commercial kitchen. It's got a bar. It's got a fireplace. And for years, I was like, dude, you have got to got to open that up and get people there because when they come, they want to have a great cup of coffee. They want to have a really good fresh muffin. Uh, and then they want to have a beer afterwards and sit by the fireplace. And finally, last year, he did that. And he called me the first day and he's like, oh my God, there were so many people. I'm like, well, yeah, that's what they want. You know, a stove has a beer hall attached to one of their ski areas. What could be better? You know, it's, it's, <laughs> and I think you're right. It's about the experience and that's, you know, Kelly, you and I talk about this all the time. We love skiing, you know, whatever your sport is, you love it. And so you want to talk about it all the time. You want to hang out with other people that do it and you want to, you know, that's the environment that you live in and it's so fun, you know, and, and it's really interesting now they've got the citizen, I call them citizen races for cross country. They're kind of, they're like marathons and it's like, like the runners that run one marathon ever, but they're going to do it. Well, they have these, you know, marathons that aren't quite as grueling as the 26 uh, miles that they run on your feet. But people go in groups and they stay and it's just a party weekend and they're going to ski hard, but then they're going to drink hard. And uh, I mean, and there's some, you know, big ones like the Berkey that is just that people just, they go to the middle of nowhere for this marathon and they have a ball. It's really, you know, it's super cool. It is about the experience. And, you know, the cross-country experience is awesome. The Alpine experience is great, too. You know, they're all great. What do you like? And if you haven't mm -hmm. tried cross-country, absolutely should, because that's a great experience, too. No doubt. It's super easy and comfortable to learn, too. It's not that, you know, I learned how to snowboard when I was 40, and it was, you know, basically like getting beat up every day, all day for three <laughs> that's days. That's rough. That's and rough. It's not like that. Not like that at all. In fact, my, my best cross-country instructor once said, you know how you stumble forward when you're drunk? And I said, yeah. <laughs> and from then on, I could cross-country ski. It was really yeah. super simple. I wonder if that's a PIA, PSIA tip. I'll have to ask them. Yeah, maybe. Um, he was the guy at Devil's Thumb. You met him. 
I can't remember his name, but I can see his face in my head. He was a great guy. Probably Scotty McGee. <laughs> yeah, probably. And it was me and Henry Cho that were learning that day. So yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, Reese, I mean, one of the things that I want to talk to you about is the 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 um is snowmaking in cross country. That's new. I mean, and it's I mean, it's not new, new, but more and more trail systems are doing it. And after I talk to you about that, I want to talk to you about weather a little bit. Sure. Uh, because sure. weather weather is impacting everybody in in the outdoor recreation industry. But you know, I kind of look at cross country ski as one of the canaries in the coal mine um, on on what kinds of impacts uh, the climate change and extremes and weather will have on our industry. So first, let's talk about the happy stuff. Tell me more about tra- tell me more about snowmaking on trails. Who's who's doing it? How's it working? And and what can we expect in the future? Yeah, that's another great question. Um, I, you know, I would say cross country is probably 20 years behind the alpine market, um, where you know 20, maybe 30 years now, uh, every alpine ski area didn't have, have snowmaking. You know, a bunch did, but there still were a bunch that didn't. Now, virtually every um, every for profit and or every every uh, alpine ski area of significant size has has snowmaking. We are not there yet as an industry, but boy, are we talking about it. And there are new systems going in every year uh, from, from massive systems where they're laying pipe and, you know, doing the whole thing, fixed guns all around a 5K or 10K loop. Um, but there's also, uh, you know, and what I'm really interested in is the smaller systems. And I'm working with all of the snowmaking manufacturers to provide that option. You know, let's talk about one gun to start. Let's talk about a scalable system um, where you just have a couple hoses, you've got some power and you've got a gun. And really it's, it's so important if you've got a piece of snow and it's white, people will come and they've seen that. Um, you know, and they will go around in circles like that hamster cage because that's all, you know, in early season, that's all there is and super yeah. important. I remember one of our skiers is like, oh, we just have this little piece that we've blown. So we're going to reduce the ticket price. I'm like, why are you reducing the ticket price? You worked really hard to get that piece of snow. And you're the only one that has it. And everybody is going to go there regardless of that. You know, it's, I mean, it's such a great value anyway. And so that's been really interesting. And, you know, we're seeing more ski areas do that. And, you know, as I say to them, not only are you open, but you if you're open, then all all of your other profit centers from retail, from lessons, from rentals, from food and beverage are open also. And so you're, you know, you're, you're in the game, you're making some money. Um, it's still, you know, there is an infrastructure issue. You've got to have power, you've got to have water. Um, and then you have to have the understanding to do it. You know, people frequently ask me, how many cross-country centers are there? It's like, well, that's hard to say because we've got cross-country centers that are corporate entities that are really tightly run ships. And then we have apple orchards that groom in the winter because they've got nothing else to do and they have the equipment. And so it spans that entire range. I don't think we're going to see those apple orchards blow, blow snow, but all of those others, those 2,000 skier days to 6,000 skier days, those guys need to get in the game. And for many of them, it's like, I just need to get from my lodge to the woods and that's a hundred yards, but that's the part that melts out or that's the part that doesn't hold the snow. So I need to get there. What's it going to take to get there? And, you know, we don't need as much snow on a trail as Alpine does. We need far less. So yeah. it is growing. You know, we're seeing we're, we're seeing a couple new ski areas come online. Um, one in the Midwest that well, actually two in the Midwest that have complete snowmaking plus paved trails for roller skiing. 
So they're looking at the whole gamut. So they're a year-round operation now, and it works, and people go there. And, you know, I think, again, our industry needs to get a little more sophisticated uh, so that we understand the ROI of snowmaking and how to make it work. But incrementally, we're getting there. And as I said, as an industry, we are putting a lot of effort into getting that information to our ski areas um, in a way that they can digest. I, I laugh because some of our ski areas will go to the snowmaking presentation. They've gone for the last 10 years that I've run. I'm like, great. Do you have snowmaking yet? It's like, no. Like, what are you waiting for? <laughs> you always go to the presentation. You know you need it. Pull the trigger. You know, pull the trigger. And that's the hard part. It's like, oh, yeah. And so now one of the things that we're also talking about is what's the cost of operating? How many men or how many how many snowmakers do you need? How often do you need them? You know, it's not a season-long thing. It's yeah. beginning of the season, maybe a little bit of touch-up as you go, and then you're done. And we've also talked about possibly sharing. Three ski areas buy a portable system and share it. That hasn't been successful yet because, of course, they're going to be near each other. And when you've got that window, they all want it. <laughs> so, yeah. Why would, I, yeah. Why would I want to give you an advantage and make sure yeah. that I'm not yeah. giving you an edge with that I could have for myself? Yeah. That's super interesting. And one of the reasons I love cross country so much is because cross country skiers do it all. I mean, and it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they react to this. And I think, you know, just thinking about the, the financial formulas behind this, I bet we could build one Reese. I bet we could build an ROI formula. Let's, let's work on that and, and report back to this audience, you know, maybe. In yeah. six no, I've got, actually, I've got a lot of numbers. Um, and what I haven't done is plug it into like a, plug it into a ski area. I think that's what we need to do. It's like, we know what the cost is. We know, you know, all pieces of the cost in addition to just buying it. Now we need to plug it into, you know, ski area A and say, okay, these, this is your revenue for the year. This is what we think this could do for you. Does it work or not? That's actually a great idea for my fall conference. Excellent. Great idea. Yeah. Um, now, uh, one of the reasons snowmaking is so hot, forgive the pun, is, <laughs> <laughs> is, is, you know, climate change is driving pretty significant changes in, in our winter weathers. And I, I, you know, obviously our weather year round, but in winter, you know, what are some of the what are some of the impacts that you're seeing in the Northeast and and really, you know, around the Great Lakes and in the in the areas where that we have a lot of cross country skiers? How important is weather? Oh, weather is critical. And in all of our surveys, when we ask, you know, especially of the ski areas, what is what is the most you know what is the most challenging thing you have? Everybody says weather, you know, for years, that's been the answer. And, you know, I go back like 10 or 12 years ago, looking at the World Cup guys. I remember Simi Hamilton was out and he was just like, my God, we go to Europe and there's no snow. You know, we are literally racing on these white ribbons of, of death, um, you know, and that's absolutely it. There's nothing else. And so that really brought, you know, it really brought brought to my attention those early season races in Europe. I'm like, wait a sec, they always have snow in Europe, right? That's the place you go for snow. Uh-uh, not, not now, not 10 years ago. And we're seeing that here as our start of winter continues to push a little later, a little later, a little later. Um, so it's, it is, it is uh, absolutely impacting us. And, you know, as an industry, I'm looking at, okay, how do we, you know, what do we do with that? One is snowmaking, you know, and get more people into snowmaking. But the other is looking at some of the ancillary um, you know, I, I mentioned the ski areas in the Midwest and you know, actually everywhere now are building roller ski tracks that are paved um, to, you know, to still get people out there because that's this sport is very easy to 
also do in, you know, in the summer or when there's no snow. Um, but we're seeing it, you know, throughout the Northeast. Uh, last winter, we had a, you know, relatively late start to the season and then incredible thaw during the winter. Um, incredible thaw such that the alpine areas were, were having brown spots. And, you know, not only were, not only was there no snow and a lot of rain, there weren't snow making temperatures. So that's the other issue. You can have a great snowmaking system, but if the temperatures aren't there, you still can't make snow. So that's an issue. And then out west, we also saw too much snow. I mean, Park City, I think it snowed for 45 days straight. They're like, oh, my God, it snows every day. People can't get here. The Pacific, well, the uh, uh, California, with all of that snow, they're like, we're closed. You know, we don't know where to put the snow. The snow is in our parking spaces. We can't park the cars. So we have to limit the number of people that can come. I mean, it's an issue on both sides. So it's very much in our face. Uh, and, you know, interestingly enough, so many cross-country centers are have always been concerned about climate change or just about the climate and being, you know, being uh, good good to the land, good stewards of the land. And so there are, there are um, cross-country centers that have big solar arrays. They're looking, you know, they have heat pumps. They, they've got a, a lot of infrastructure that they've thought about. And unfortunately, snowmaking isn't really helping that, but um, I guess we can't have it all. Uh, but yeah, it's, <clears throat> it is critical. And, you know, I think what, what is our future, you know, without being too grim. And I'm like, we can still, we can ski year round. It's just a little different, you know, roller skis compared to snow skis. So, um, you know, I know I roller ski, I probably roller ski more than I snow ski now, just because winter is busy for me and summer it's warm and beautiful and sunny, which is another great thing. It's like, why not learn when it's sunny and beautiful out, right? Everybody wants to be outside <laughs> in summer, right? So yeah, that's, well, the interesting thing isn't just that, that, Cross country is sort of the canary in the coal mine regarding issues with winter outdoor recreation. But what's interesting is watching how cross country as an industry, as a as a as a category, has adapted. Because nobody laid down, nobody laid down and said, "Well, we can't ski anymore. There's no more. We're making snow." You know, doing using all kinds of all kinds of technology and things that aren't wouldn't be considered technology to keep our participant base to keep them engaged whether it's whether it's making sure we have snow on the trail or wine you know in the lodge both of those well, things are, are are adaptations to to ensure that we're engaging consumers even when we do have to change and adapt because the climate has changed right well one thing we didn't talk about is snow farming and that is something that cross country ski areas have done for years uh, and that involves, you know, placing fences so that you collect the snow that you do get using your cat with its uh, blade and blading that snow onto the track. When you do get a big snowfall, a lot of ski areas now, when they get a big snowfall, they're going to proactively move snow onto their trails because they don't need it in this field or that field. So push it all in, groom it. Um, and then when the fields melt out, they still have a trail. Also, there's a tremendous, you know, every every cross-country center has some area that's south-facing, a little bit of a hill, and it just melts out for that 10-foot or 20-foot spot. And so they go out there and they shovel and they do all sorts of things. Um, we're looking now at some of that synthetic snow. Can you put that under under the actual snow so when it does melt out, you still have a nice slip, uh, nice slippery surface that you can use? So you're right. The creativity is amazing. Um, and it's because these people are looking at it, dealing with it every day. And, you know, the thing I think with cross-country skiers is you're really in tune to 
the snow surface and to the grooming. And, you know, what was so interesting to me, again, from some of our consumer surveys, it, you know, asking them about what's important. They're like grooming. What do you like about your favorite ski area? Grooming. You know, um, I hear from skiers all the time. It's like after a rain event, the phone rings. It's like, hi, what are you guys grooming with today? Not are you open, but what machine uh -huh. are you using? <laughs> so if you're using a snow cat that's going to, you know, that's going to pulverize that ice, I'm coming. If you're using a drag, no way, man. I'm not, you know, I'm going to go somewhere else because they know what the, uh, what that service is all about. So super cool. God, I've got like 80 questions left and I haven't let Patrick ask a single one, but there's one, there's one thing I'm really interested in that I, I just have to ask you about before I ask you to, you know, give you any information for people that are trying to get a hold of you and ask about cross-country skiing. But what are, are trail systems doing for season work? Are they thinking about what they can do with bikes and, and hikers? And, you know, just outdoor activity in in seasons in which there's no snow on the trail? So, yes, many of the trail systems that are putting in new trails, they're putting in multi-use trails because they realize they can't just be a winter operation. A lot of our skiers are on golf courses. So in the summer, they go back to a golf course. So they may not have options. But many areas um, have built bike parks or um uh, on certain trails, they they have a complete mountain bike program, some even an e-mountain bike program. Um, so, yes, they are looking at that year-round uh, operation. And and many of them do multiple things. They already have kayaking. Um, it could be just some kind of a summer camp or, or all sorts of things because they've got that infrastructure. Um, the apple orchards go back to apple orchards, you know, any of those that are kind of multi-use for another business, they go back to that. But they are looking at that. And again, as if anyone who's building a new trail is thinking about, okay, how am I going to build it? Because it's way more important now. There's a lot of trail grooming in the summer. And we spend a lot of time as an industry talking about that. What does the surface look like? You know, what are the can what are the cans? What do your drainage ditches look like? Um, how do you prepare your off-season for that meltout that comes in the winter so that you don't have a stream running across your trail, you have it running under the trail? Um, and so all sorts of that sort of thing goes on <coughs> to to um, to make those trails uh, as functional as possible in the winter. But um, but yeah, they are looking at what else can we do? We've got this land, we own it, we've got this building, uh, you see weddings, you see all sorts of things, some have horses. Um, so yes, they are looking to be multi-use multi as much as possible. And that's also better because you keep your staff. You know, these seasonal businesses, it's too expensive now to be a ski bum like, you know, like many of us were many, many years ago. Um, you can't afford that anymore. So you need to attract that young uh, employee, you need to have some fly fishing is a big one. You see a lot of that, especially up west. So yeah, no, another great, great thing. So that's another thing. Consider calling your cross country center for summer recreation. Hey, what have you got? What do you got going? Because every year new things are coming. Also, good way to keep people engaged. You know, oh, and yeah, we we know they're cross participating. Right, they come there to mountain bike. Maybe they're going to say, mm -hmm. hey, you know, this would be pretty cool to visit in the winter time. Maybe I will. Yeah, I mean, you love the trails in the winter. Love them in the summer. You know, and you got the same lodging, same. It's just, it's homey. Now I want to go cross-country skiing and stay at like my favorite. You know what my favorite place is. I right? absolutely do. And I'll go. Reese, how would, if, if somebody wants to learn a little bit more about cross-country skiing or trails in at cross-country ski area, trail areas, um, or about cross-country skiing demographics, who can they call? How do they get in touch with you? Send them to my website. It's xcski.org so cross country xcski.org 
Um, that is our consumer site. It has a listing of 200 ski areas around the country in Canada, as well as tips to get involved. Um, certainly my email and phone number are on that website if they're looking for industry-specific information. We've got some fashion tips. You know, there's a, a lot of really specific clothing for cross-country also, as well as uh, as well as the rest of the equipment. So that's going to be one-stop shopping. And if you can't find it there, we're going to send you someplace where you can find every answer you want. Yeah. Outdoor. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll put a link in the episode description so folks can just click and go straight there. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so, so much for doing yes, this. Thank, thank you for the opportunity. Great to talk to you guys. Patrick, nice to meet you. And I look yeah. forward to coming on your show again. All right. Right on. Absolutely. Uh, Thanks for listening to Inside the Outdoors, presented by People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association. We'll see you next time.